Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show! I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Therese Waboda. She is a very interesting person, I think, because she has had success in a number of genres. She got the Grey Wolf Prize for nonfiction, Babs Prize for a novel, Pushcart Prize for essay, O. Henry Prize for short story, and Iowa Prize for poetry. As I said, I find that extremely interesting. Her latest book is Theatrics, Poetry Plays from a Hinga Press. So I'm really glad you're here and I'm looking forward to what you're going to tell me about how you managed to do this. <laughs> well, <laughs> you are, aren't you? Sure you are. <laughs> yes, of course. Is, is poetry, yeah, you do have eight books of poetry, 18 books total, I think I got from your website. So is is... Is poetry your main genre or is there a main genre? Well, poetry is, you know, what I fell in love with right. and you, and it infuses everything. You cannot, I can't do without it. When I'm making a big project like a novel or a memoir, um, anytime I stop, it sort of oozes out. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's part of my genetics, I guess. And um, I continue to go back to it. I mean, after all, it is supposedly the, the, the height of our literary expression. And uh, you might as well go for the big ones. I happen to agree completely. <laughs> I mean, poetry is the, the, yeah, the height of literary expression. That's right. Or we just don't have to say literary, I guess. And did, so did you start with poetry? Well, you know, as a, in grade school, I had little uh, notebooks of stories about uh, ghosts and kings and queens but uh and i also had willa cather like a big dark bird over the mm. state of nebraska terrorizing people thinking about writing stories so i yes <laughs> i went into poetry <laughs> okay what were you in nebraska is that where you started yes that's where i, oh. that's where I grew up yes oh okay well ted coozer country that's right Kwame dawes country at this point yeah you're right the new book, the cover is um, a little strange. Um, I don't. It would be a real challenge. I don't know. But you're a word person. Do you do you think you could describe the cover for our people who are only <laughs> listening? And we can't show them the book. So um, uh, there's an article between the <clears throat> artist Heine Marks and myself. It's just come out on Lit Hub, oh. talking about it. 
And uh, so it's, it's a piece of sculpture about half size, not life size, that she made in the 80s, I think, or maybe the 90s, uh, that has a sort of a human figure leaning back with a very long nose that's made of a tree branch and, and various other particulars in his or her anatomy look rather strange also. So it seemed theatrical to me and her, okay. <laughs> the, the rest of her work uh, often includes little bits of dialogue uh, sewn in. She's a, she makes uh, drawings with fabrics usually. I mean, these days anyway, for the last 20 years. So, uh, so that's how I was initially drawn to her work. And then I saw that sculpture and now I'm uncertain I mean, it, it's not an image that you want to pick up. So maybe it's a bad thing for a cover. Oh, for marketing, you mean? Well, yeah. But it's really it's really interesting. But I, I was trying to get a specific association with it. Now, to say theatrical, that's okay. I mean, it's definitely artsy, you know? Definitely okay. says artsy. And yeah. I picked up, I, I figured the nose looked to me like, up here in Vermont, it looked like a, a little branch from a pine tree with no needles on it. Well, just what it we, looks like to me, you know. For a, a long while, this book was in the age of Trump. So, you know, it, I couldn't oh. get past that Pinocchio moment. <laughs> Good point. Those little props are probably, maybe they just hold them up, practically speaking, but they reminded me of like uh, Long John Silver's wooden leg, his peg leg. Oh, yeah. There was two little props yeah. there in the back. He's leaning back. I spent some time looking at it, trying to figure out what's going on here. Well, uh, why don't you read us a poem and we'll talk about some more things. Okay. Um, so this book is a, a hybrid. I never sat, uh, set out to write a hybrid book, but it, it, it consists of many of the poems are little plays, unplayable plays. And I'm a fan of um, Mark, um, Mac Wellman, who is uh, an avant-garde playwright in New York who likes to leave uh, stage directions like a pause of feline strangeness. And, <laughs> <laughs> other, and sometimes the stage directions are spoken, so you don't know whether or not, um, you know, th what the action is or the direction. So anyway, um, thus inspired, I set out to write uh, some strange things. And uh, this poem called Sandwich, which I will read, um, uh, was published in my selected when the next big war blows down the valley, uh, uh, sort of as a precursor to the whole book. And uh, then I realized I'd already written, um, I rewrote Faust <laughs> in my book, Mere Mortals, <laughs> Christopher Marlowe's, because I thought it was so amazing. That's the advantage of coming across, you know, really good things when you're old, in that uh, you, you were very impressed that they actually, it, it really still speaks to you as a classic. Anyway, sandwich. Across the stage of the plains, interstate, interstate, Dell and Dell and plains, there's a scene where they run out of gas. You in the white shirt. I'm just a scenic, listen. There was a tremendous knocking. Knock, knock, no joke. They put him in a closet, not a Dell. They put him in a closet and the door hung wrong, had, had a gap at the bottom where he could shove a whole sandwich through, though the bread got a little dirty. As for thirst, I don't know. 
No light, of course, except through the gap. So the sandwich came in dark and dirty, whispering voices from the phone. Can you get it? There was a tremendous knocking across the plains, sometimes as if on a window pane, sometimes enough to break it or else from below. You don't know that. It's a kind of knowing, just like the knocking you say you heard just after they ran out of gas. <clears throat> and who are they, they anyway? Who are the they anyway? The usual suspects, M and F, old while you're not. And because of that, always running out of gas. They wish there were windows. There were sandwiches they made for themselves. They didn't shove them all. The door will be open, but that means mud will be tracked in by the gasless earning alienation. Time gaps while they run away like that after someone finds him in the closet. Maybe the someone went looking for a coat, a winter coat that he thought he had hung in there. P.U. M and F forgot their homemade sandwiches and they ran out of gas. How do you know? Someone called. Someone said, look in the closet. It was you. I was wearing a white shirt, easy to spot. I didn't need a coat. They walked a long way before anyone picked them up and it never stopped raining. The Dell came up while they were walking. A farmer in the Dell, a big Ford truck with four wheel drive, interstate. No trace of footsteps because of the rain. Interstate gets into the card like a hum. You would think they were fleeing the site, but no, they just ran out of gas. What if guilt is free, like the falling of rain? Instead of cooped up in a closet, he was crying. I'm not related. I'm not the last or the late. I'm not, really. I say, there was a scene and someone went inside, but whether a white shirt is easy enough to spot, dirt just falls on it. There was a tremendous knocking. So uh, I, I keep wanting to have uh, different kinds of voices because, um, you know, the voice-driven poetry of the 70s that we all learned, um, I, I wanted to expand it. I didn't want to do a dialogue or a Browning monologue. So I've used um, italics, italics and uh, brackets and all kinds of other things to try to cram in a lot of different um, possibilities. Definitely, you read it extremely well. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, you, you do different for you that serious thing about looking in the closet and that kind of stuff. You know, it's yeah. Whoa! So this is a poetry play. <laughs> it's 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 theatrical, like it's poetry. It's poetic. It's yeah. It's got those elements to it. Yeah, you know, it's poetry supposed to be out there pushing thing, pushing words over the brink and uh, making something absolutely new out, the, out of it. And here we are in the 21st century and, you know, the sonnet isn't gonna cut it. <laughs> the sonnet isn't gonna cut That's a nice bumper sticker. Yeah, <laughs> or a t-shirt maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I could get in trouble walking through some MFA program with that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sonnets, you know. Oh yeah. Oh, that's just that's just cool. If, if this were performed by someone, by not you, let's I won't say someone, by not you, 
would you envision it being a couple of people or a person doing it as you just now read it for us? There, are, there was like three, at least three voices, maybe four with the italicized. Uh, yeah. But I never, I think it's more fun to think of it on the page. Why can't you just have the revolution on the page? It costs money to get people together. That's okay with me. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> just curious, you know, if you ever yeah. thought if this were on a stage, what would it be? Who would be up there? Would it be one person there? You know, oh, I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to, you know, if there were ever a director, he'd have to figure it out. She'd have to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, that's right. That's what <laughs> be their problem, for. you know. That's yeah. what I was thinking of with your guy with the really not very specific stage directions. It's yeah, like well, the, the ultimate wonderful thing that these guys do all these many strange things when they redo Shakespeare. You know. Yeah, exactly. I, I saw one where they were I saw one where they were riding around on motor scooters. It was just I don't remember the rationale, but it was rather interesting, you know. And it was the oddest one I think I'd seen. But anyway. Well, he's the one who who ended a play Exit Bear, you know, so uh <laughs> right. <see> you. <laughs> oh, that was really fun. Well, I hope you're, I hope you're feeling like reading that. I'd love to hear something else. That's just really, really wonderful. Oh, why, thank you. Well, in that case, I will read to you a poem called The Alphabet. And um, mm. I lived for a year in Sudan a long time ago. And uh, I'm making a documentary. And a couple of years ago, I, re I reunited with a friend from there who was the widow of uh, someone who eventually became a governor and who was tortured and killed. She actually uh, lives in Victoria, I mean, no, in Vancouver, uh, where a lot of Sudanese refugees ended up. Uh, and this is a, a couplets. And so it's not uh, wild all over the page like the previous one, mm -hmm. uh, but you'll see at the very end where I managed to throw in a little bit of um, the theatrical. Alphabet. Oh, and the second line refers to a second wife. And in her case, it wasn't serial, you know, it, it was uh, polygamous. Hmm. Portraits of graduates line the room, even the children of the second wife, even her, as dead as your husband. He was taken and beaten, governor at last, at last released, but falling to the ground, your son putting a phone to his head. You were in Egypt, in exile, safe. All he said was A, B, C, D. What men repeat during torture, so they reveal nothing. Or to bear it without screaming, or remembering how they learned the alphabet under a tree with the flies thick and the good smell of milk on their hands. A, B, C, D, you say over tea. Have a biscuit? I helped you cook long ago, cross-legged on cement in a soot black kitchen open to the sky. In the yard, a circle of chairs, your husband pouring the scotch of some aid worker wanting some permission. When kerosene half lit their faces, the speeches began. Rhett tried to hush them but they went on and on into the absolute black of the Sudanese night. Democracy off stage, just a little beyond. Hmm. 
because as you know, South Sudan became the world's most newest country uh, a few years ago. So it, it was it was in the process even then so long ago. Wow. Here's a, here's a question. I guess I'm going back to the beginning here. Working in these various genres, um, how how does how do you decide, or do you decide consciously, uh, how you're going to treat a subject? Do you know ahead of time you're going? You might know you're going to. Write, I don't know. You might know ahead of time you're going to write an essay about something. You may have something else. And you don't know if it's going to be a short story or a well or it, whatever. It, it's going to be a sequence of poems. Uh, I have had. Uh, like I had a really great dream about 30 years ago. <laughs> and it kept me back. <laughs> Must have been good. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, I, I turned it into a poem and then I turned it, in, then it persisted and I turned it into a short story. Not that either of those were published. And, and uh, maybe that was a good thing. And then I turned it into half a novel. Uh, <laughs> this is what. Uh, <laughs> It was Tin God, actually. It was the book Tin God. And uh, uh, the other half of it, uh, then I had another story lying around. And so I wove the two of them together. Um, uh, but another, so it's so it evolved, that particular idea. And another book on, uh, I think it was Trailer Girl, um, it actually had a, a night of dance afterwards. Uh, somebody, choreographers took the story. So, um, so what happens to what I think is what it is can change, but usually, uh, not usually, but so when I sit down, I try to make it into something like this feels like it could be short, but sometimes it gets away and goes into something else. I ask because I'm sure there are lots of, of writers listening, maybe they're poets who like wish they could write a short story, you know, that would yeah. be, that would be successful. And this idea of, of, of a person can be really pretty good in one of the genres. And then how do you get, are you stymied by another one or not? I've written a bunch of crappy short stories. I can tell you, you know, uh, <laughs> I've written a few. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I'm ahead of you on that, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's what, that's the reason I asked. Just if you never know what, Somebody out there will glean from what you say that may be. Well, the useful. whole idea is that if you have a, a persistent vision uh, about something that happened in your life or some, some dream or something, uh, usually if you keep turning it over, it'll come up with something that because it's profound to you, you all you have to do is make it a gift and a profundity to somebody else. All you have to do. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't, of course, it doesn't matter what genre comes out. If you can just get the thing together, yeah, that's right. get that coherence yeah, that's right. and, and interestingness to it. Yeah. Well, well let's hear another poem. All right. Um, here, uh, uh, some of the poems are uh, political, as you might imagine. Um, Good. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, I have one which I have marked here, and I don't know where it is now. Uh, called "Spectacle," which refers to <clears throat> something that happened in the Supreme Court a few years ago. Mm. Um, and also, uh, uh, LA's Disney Hall 
which had this amazing sound and light show going on at the same time uh, outdoors for free. Wow. It was crazy, <laughs> really spectacle. Not only Disney Hall lit 42 projectors in the land of glitz, but a lone woman making a spectacle of herself before 11 congressmen, and then brackets, not Congress people, who imagine themselves with her and the clothing removal part, or at least peeking in. Loud music over those projectors and a German goose step, the atom bomb of post-civility, the plane headed into the building, thrice told lies while millions watch, brackets, believing everything they hear. As the face of spectacle, whom do the gladiators mesmerize? Spectators, brackets, the root of spectacle, in brackets, grin in their awe, in their sin of dissolving, one into the other, into a ripple of, yes, I'm less. That was couplets, yeah. I neglected to mention in the introduction that you uh, had created an opera that was performed at, at the Disney uh, venue. Yeah. You can't leave anything out. You had to write an <laughs> opera. Well, I'm, I'm That's great. That, that one was about uh, the world water shortage. And I just finished one for uh, two uh, British producers on um, the Harlem Renaissance, oddly enough. And uh, I kept saying, I'm not the person to write this. The composer is from the Caribbean. And she said, it's Porgy and Bess. So we'll <laughs> see where it goes. Great. You've had an awful lot of interesting projects <laughs> over yeah. the years. It's interesting. Really? Things. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things in the world. Do you want me to read one more and or oh, two more? Before you do that, what do, we have? do you have anything to say about um, Lola Ridge? <laughs> Well, yeah, I it was about five pages worth. Yeah, uh, uh, she, was, <laughs> she was a radical poet, uh, born in New Zealand in 1873, and she died in New York City in 1941. Uh, she uh, and when she died, the New York Times said she was one of uh, America's most important poets. And uh, subsequently, because of uh, 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 Ransom and his buddies, uh, women, uh, experimental writing and radical writing were devalued in the 50s and 60s. And really until Ginsburg and company arrived on the scene, uh, everyone had forgotten her by then. And uh, she wasn't revived in the 70s. And so um, I read an article on Slate that Pinsky had put up about her. And I was just so excited um, that four years later, you know, thousands of footnotes later, I um, looked in the comments section of uh, that site, and there I was with all kinds of exclamation points, and very little in the article itself suggested uh, why I was interested in her. It was very inscrutable. I was chosen. Anyway, the book is called Anything That Burns You, and uh, that was a quote from uh, an interview she did with uh, a British uh, critic, uh, when she was asked, what is the proper subject for a poet? Anything that burns you was her answer. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So she was, um, like many biographical subjects, 
uh, once you get deeply involved with them, they uh, are not saints. <laughs> and so, okay. and actually, she tried to curry a, um, um, a facade that she was some kind of saint. So it was a, so there were surprises in the, okay. in the writing of the book. An interesting read for any of you who are like me and like to find these kind of poets who are uh, not remembered by a lot of, a lot of people. It kind of reminds me of the Baroness, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Baroness? Oh, yeah. I knew all about the Baroness. Yes. yes I mean, I knew about her, but I didn't know Lola Ridge. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We should hear another poem uh, while we still have time. Okay. <laughs> Just one more? Uh, well, you read two. Just if you one want, more. If you want to read two? That's fine. I'm, I'm reading the ones. See, some of them are really only make sense when you look at them on paper. So I'm reading the ones that sonically uh, you would more easily understand. Beautiful. This is called Moon Theater. On parade with the old dog doing her best, we walk between two bodies of water, not an island, but wet blue, and brackets ribbons, lapping land. And we come upon a boy on a chair. We do not have curbs on our lane, so the chair is where the lawn, such as sand permits, begins. And the boy, who should be at some screen, says, there, and points to what I've missed. Head down with the dog. The hot moon where our little tarmac and the water rise up to sink it suspended as if thrown and stuck to a Velcro black, it's orange huge. Attending is what the boy is doing and the dog head lifted begins his bark. Hmm. That's yeah. kind of almost a throwback poem, but, <laughs> and I'll end with a, a kind of funny one. Okay. The silverware dialogue. A fork and a spoon lie together to spoon and to fork. E equals MC squared, says the spoon. I don't have the energy, says the fork. Forgiveness, says the spoon. It is as if we lie on a vast table, says the fork, useless. The spoon measures a dose, sink to your knees. The fork submits, the past is prescient. The spoon clasps the fork, of course, says the spoon, it's all about portion control. Let's sleep, says the fork. Weep, the spoon says. The spoon is sorry too, like the song. Make me toast, says the fork, and snappy. The spoon says, who turned on the lights? Birds begin singing their favorite, oh moon, oh moon. The table was laid, says the spoon, not me. Tines, my dear, are everything, says the fork. My tines are retired. They spoon through course after intercourse, the hunger being incurable, inconsolable. So, you know, yeah. poetry plays. It's about swinging. <laughs> there you go. Beautiful, beautiful. It was a perfect ending, seriously. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, well, folks, you've been listening to Poetry Spoken here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. Our guest is Therese Swoboda, a New York poet whose latest book is Theatrics, Poetry Plays. And you can get it from Anhinga Press. So, uh, 
I hope you'll be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. Yeah.